0: Welcome to Generously Speaking, a podcast series developed by Capital Development Services, where we hear from area philanthropists, foundation executives, corporate leaders, and others who share their experience, insights, and ideas on the nature of generosity and philanthropic giving. Here are your hosts, Alan Burroughs and Claire Jordan.
1: In our work, we have the privilege of meeting some pretty incredible people. This podcast provides a platform to share some of the conversations we get to have with a broader audience, bringing thought leaders in the nonprofit sector directly to you since you cannot always come to them. We want to highlight generosity by speaking with those who can help share your stories of great philanthropy. In addition to the audio on our podcast recording, you can also access episode notes of these conversations on our website at capdev.com slash podcasts.
2: What holds nonprofits back from reaching their goals and their impact? We at CapDev so often realize that one of the biggest issues facing nonprofits is an internal capacity within the organization. Make do with less. How often do nonprofit leaders hear this, especially when it comes to development offices? How does limited capacity affect nonprofits? Affect donor relations, database management, frontline giving officers, stewardship. Also, how can a campaign help even strengthen a nonprofit? On this episode, you'll hear part one from two incredible colleagues who oversee development offices and hear how they successfully tackle capacity issues. Part one addresses staffing and how to effectively manage, find, and retain talent, and to work creatively to address how to work better with less. We are excited about these conversations and know you will find them great takeaways for your work. Claire Jordan leads the discussions.
1: Hello, and thanks to everyone for joining us today. I have two lovely guests with me this morning, and I want to make some introductions and really just allow today to be a conversation that continues our discussion that we started earlier this year, which is a four-part series. And we focused first on the primary component for essential fundraising work that we all focus on, which is beginning with the why. And we talked about the case for support with Appalachian Regional Health Foundation based in Boone, North Carolina. And then today we're going to talk about the capacity, your overall infrastructure and ability to take on significant fundraising initiatives. And then next we'll talk about donor relations, and then we'll end with a focus on leadership later this year. So those are the four components that we're talking about overall in the podcast series this year. Today, my guests are Jamie Rayner, who is the Vice Chancellor for Advancement at Western Carolina University. And Nelda Simeon, Director of Philanthropy for the Nature Conservancy's North Carolina chapter. And I want to tell you a little bit about each of them, but also I want them, because they've never met each other before, to get a chance to introduce themselves to each other and to you, our listeners, so that you can know a little bit about the kinds of organizations we're talking about. And we'll try to speak broadly to the nonprofit sector, the social sector, whatever you call it now, today in our conversation about infrastructure and capacity, but also they're going to speak specifically to the organizations naturally that they're here with representing today. A little bit of background. The Nature Conservancy has a very long history with CapDev. And Nelda, I can't even tell you, I can't even speculate how long it goes back, but probably about 20 years at least, I believe. We started working with Katherine Skinner long ago, and our consultant, Ann Thomas, was senior counsel who happened to have also worked at Nature Conservancy some time ago. So that made a nice natural connection. And over the years of working with different folks there, how long have you been there? I've been with the Nature
0: Conservancy just over five years. I
1: thought it was about five years. So... During that time of our various engagements, CapDev has been in and out of um, work with the Nature Conservancy on various campaigns and searches. And I believe we conducted the search that brought you. Is that right?
0: Yes, you did. And you've also helped me with two searches since that time. And of course, you were instrumental in the most recent campaign campaign that we completed in June of 2020.
1: The shorter history here at the table today, Jamie, we started working with Western Carolina
0: late 2020, I believe it was Sounds right for our
1: feasibility yeah. study. We conducted a feasibility study of about 100 or so
3: people. Yep. Interviewed um, 83 and did focus groups and thousands of surveys um, for our next comprehensive campaign at Western Carolina University.
1: And now we're deep in the midst of that, and you are partnering with our consultant, Lily Bunch. So you're in the campaign planning phase, embarking on implementation of a campaign. That's correct.
3: We're about to wrap up our planning committee. We are in the leadership silent phase of the campaign, and we will launch our campaign steering committee in January 2023.
1: So I love this because you two come from different types of organizations, different subsectors within the sector of nonprofits, and you're in different places in the kind of work that you've done, not just with us, but what you're doing in the campaign world and the search world that we address both of those in this topic really today. Okay, let's jump in. And would you mind just introducing yourselves to each other first and tell a little bit about yourself, just just as if you're just
0: meeting as you are today for the first time, what would you say? Jamie, it's nice to meet you and it's wonderful to see you. After such a time, Claire. I've been with the Nature Conservancy for five years. Our organization is a global environmental conservation organization with more than a million members. We work in 70 countries throughout the world, and we have a presence in all 50 states in the U.S. In North Carolina, I lead a team of seven fundraising professionals within a larger staff. We have five offices across the state doing conservation here, but also collaborating with other chapters and uh, regional units of the organization. When I began working with the Nature Conservancy. We were just moving from what I would call the silent phase of the campaign into a more public launch and more robust development of our campaign infrastructure in terms of putting regional campaign committees together. It's a great team. I love the work. I feel very good about the mission and um, look forward to talking about this topic of campaign readiness and infrastructure.
3: It's nice to meet you, Nelda. My pleasure. And Claire, thank you for inviting me today. We've enjoyed our work with CAPDEV. Um, I'm Jamie. I have served this week, it will be seven years, at Western Carolina University. My background is in public higher education. I've served in four comprehensive regional universities over four states um, over the last 20 years. And I've been at Western, as I noted, for seven years. And... um, Western Carolina University is a special place. It was founded in 1889 to serve primarily uh, the region of Western North Carolina, west of Asheville. And it was started as a a teacher's college to educate future K-12 teachers in the state of North Carolina. And it's really um, primarily since around 2005 uh, exploded in its attendance and in its um, enrollment numbers and in its diversity of programs particularly in professional programs. Um, Our College of Health and Human Sciences, our College of Engineering and Technology are are growing to serve a need in a region um, that has a lot of industry heading to our I-40 and I-26 corridor. We've been serving um, the Asheville region through an instructional site since the 1930s there, but our main campus is in Culloway, North Carolina. I oversee a team in the Division of Advancement of about 25 professionals. Uh, We do have frontline fundraisers in our Office of Development. We also have an Office of Engagement that oversees our traditional alumni engagement and annual giving and communications, and then our Advancement Services Unit. The Vice Chancellor's Office oversees campaign planning and leadership and principal gifts, and uh, we've embarked, as I mentioned earlier, on a comprehensive campaign. Um, Although WCU has been around since 1889, this is Uh, Only our third comprehensive campaign, and we are fairly new at the work of advancement. Uh, The state of North Carolina, as it notes in our Constitution, supports um, access and affordability for public higher education. So it's really only been in the last few decades that philanthropy has been of
0: uh, great importance in our public higher ed institutions. Previous to the Nature Conservancy, I worked in academic medical center development and for a business school. And so I appreciate the mission of higher education.
1: I love that you come from different types of organizations with different sizes of teams, too, because we talk to so many development professionals, even solo shop folks and large sizes who all have some commonality and some issues. So today we really are going to be open and frank about addressing what are some of the hard questions that everybody tackles. And let's talk about some of the approaches to those. I know you both came into advancement offices that are not in the shape now that they were in at the time when you first began these roles. So can you talk a little bit really openly? Are you willing to share? What was it like? What did you walk into?
0: When I joined uh, the Nature Conservancy, uh, first of all, I'm I'm advanced in my career, um and I've worked inside very large uh, institutions and actually uh, TNC, the shorthand, Nature Conservancy is quite large. One of the first things that I encountered is the fact that our campaign needed to fit into the larger organization's campaign and still be able to message and develop Uh, Information and materials that both complemented what the larger organization was doing across the United States and around the world, and also uh, very much attend to our constituents here in North Carolina. So that was number one. The second is although I've come from what I thought really a complex organization, I was humbled by the depth and complexity of the work that we do in conservation because we do work across the world. And we do work on so many different geographies. And it's science-based, but it's also practice. And it involves real estate. So it was very complex. And Mm -hmm. one of the first things I would tell you is that trying to distill what we do and communicate that well To the people who care about conservation is still a major task in itself. So the communications, the key statement, the materials that we needed to develop, um, and uh, we did that in partnership with CapDev, but also internally was a challenge. My team, I would say, was strong, although it's become stronger. And I think that's what the goal is of a campaign, is to help an organization develop across its own history and trajectory. And so... We had a a good team. We're one person larger at this point, so we've grown the team, but we've also grown the staff, the conservation staff as well, over the life of this um, campaign. The amount of money that we were raising when I came in, it, it has increased slowly but surely as the product of the campaign. Organizationally, I think we were somewhat weak on, I'll be frank, on research on really knowing our donor base as well as I thought we needed to. And that's been an adjustment that I've been able to make. So that was really important to me.
1: Those are important things. And I want to touch back on some of those as we talk more in detail about them. I don't think it's unusual at all to have a donor base that maybe you don't know as well as you would like to. And I think that's a common issue that a lot of organizations would love to talk about. And I also want to circle back to how campaign helps make your team stronger so we're going to come back to those two as we talk in more
0: detail i thought of one other thing i wanted to share in terms of challenges Mm. our database Mm. Mm. they had just gone through Mm -hmm. a major transition and it was a lot of hard work and when i first came on board there were certain kinds of reports of information that actually was not easily available Mm -hmm. although that improved over time and has improved since
3: Nelda, I think you'll hear a lot of commonalities between your challenges and your viewpoints um, with, with mine as well. I've had the opportunity to see the Division of Advancement at WCU through four different lenses. So I've served in four roles over the last seven years. I had the pleasure of starting as, as a development officer, as a director of development, where my only job was to raise money and I didn't have to oversee anyone. And, but to your point, the data, the prospect list, It was really a grassroots effort. just depends on how motivated I could be to do that on my own. Um, Then I got to see it through the lens of an assistant vice chancellor over development staff. And then as an interim vice chancellor, and the mentality of an interim is very different than the permanent role. And so while I didn't technically inherit a staff, I kind of grew along with the staff and and shifted in my viewpoints and in my... um, measurements of success and in my own expectations. And you also feel often in no matter what the nonprofit that you're serving in is, is that growth is slow. I mean, I feel that in my experiences. But if you just stop and look back, whether it's five years of your experience, seven years of mine, and really reflect, you've added one position and in a small shop, that's a big deal. And then I think I started in 2015, and there were 15 full-time staff and two or three part-time staff. We're currently around 25 staff. That's significant growth. I started at the beginning of our last campaign, and we built the airplane in the air. The data wasn't there. The database was there, but it it was a banner system that was predominantly used for student management and not really um, best practice for philanthropy. Two weeks before we ended our campaign in April 2019, we thought it would be a good uh, time to to transition databases. So as we're trying to do final campaign reporting, we decided to move to Razor's Edge NXT. There have been huge changes and challenges, um, both with data, growth in prospect management and research, as you noted before, and in growth in our staff. We both started in a pre-COVID environment where staffing and the expectations of of traditional face-to-face office work or on-the-road advancement work was more traditional in nature. We're in an environment now where creativity is key in the recruitment and the retention of staff, and that's probably the biggest change I've seen, regardless of, of A smaller staff in 2015 versus the staff now, our ability to recruit and retain, Mm -hmm. to recruit to a very rural North Carolina environment, and to be flexible while still being in the relationship business of the advancement work that we're in.
1: I want to revisit staffing with you a little bit more, but I'm going to give you a chance first, Jamie, if there are other elements that you walked into outside of staffing and the database piece, anything else y'all would add to that list of the challenges that you first came into?
3: I'd say just a general understanding across our institution of the importance and the value of advancement work, Mm. of development work, of the need for a culture of philanthropy to permeate across an institution or an organization. It was an education of sorts for our faculty staff.
1: That's a great point, and I really hadn't thought of that related to infrastructure yet before, but I think that the pervasive nature of the need For the rest of the organization to comprehend that philanthropy is everyone's job. It does not happen by accident. And I don't think there's an organization we know that doesn't have some need to spread that at more levels. And to grow that awareness is very much like you said about staffing. It's slow. It doesn't happen immediately when you do it well.
0: You know, it's interesting. I thought I would have to do more education and I have in other places that I'd worked. At the Nature Conservancy, I came into a program that I think actually had a very good rapport and working relationship with conservation staff, with our legal team, with other experts. And I'm not entirely sure why that, I have some philosophies on that, whereas I thought I would have to do more education. For me, the challenge was really the complexity of the mm-hmm. organization. I, having worked with scientists and researchers and doctors and hospitals and um, deans and professors and students, I thought somehow working for an environmental conservation organization <laughs> would be simpler. But in fact, it has shocked me how much is more complex. complex it is. Mm-hmm. Part of it is because we are so large, working with a centralized organization, coordinating our information with policies finance, and we're trying to work in a system that is unified, but is working in every state and across country borders, means that just that work is a a challenge and a challenge to actually know where to go. I guess I would say that would be one of the largest challenges. Who knows the answer to this question here? Don't you all find that
1: one of the answers to this issue becomes the money starts rolling in and people start seeing oh, they actually help me. You know, the benefit of advancement, the benefit of development work, it has real impact when you see real dollars addressing real needs. And then it becomes more universally accepted, needed, praised, wanted, all those good things.
3: Yeah, a nice gift is a great spotlight uh, for direct impact, tangible impact and storytelling um, to those who are either partners who may not be knowledgeable about philanthropy or those who may be a little bit shy mm-hmm. or a little bit timid about the work uh, that we do. It certainly is a motivator.
1: Yeah, you know, people who don't want to ask for money in in areas that aren't working directly in development, they don't mind at all talking about the program, the impact, the mission, what drives them. But they don't always understand that doing that is a way of Mm -hmm. soliciting gifts, because what you're doing is sharing your passion for your mission.
0: And that's catchy. I sometimes wish that our mission statements included philanthropy. In the statement, I feel that strongly about the fact that it is part of our mission. It's central when you're a nonprofit. At our organization, it's not just nice to have. We don't have other funding streams, patient care or scholarship funding. So I work with people who depend on my team to raise the funds for them to come in and do their jobs every day and do the work and build their programs. So they know, they mm-hmm. do know and see it. Yeah, that's a good point. They see the value that. I love that
3: idea, Nelda, of in the mission statement. You know, we answer the why of an organization in a mission statement, but why don't we clue them in a little bit on the how? I, think I it's love part of that. our charter
0: or yeah. our charge as mm-hmm. development professionals. And you are nowhere and without an organization. It. Let's do this little shift now and
1: think about these essential elements that we're starting to touch on, that you have to have. Have
0: in order to build
1: capacity to take on any significant effort. And we could list several. You've touched on a couple of them that I might suggest we start with number one, staffing. Let's talk about that first and what it takes. And then let's also touch on a little bit more the database and the donor relations piece and the impact of those. And let's talk some about communications, maybe. Starting with the staffing piece, Nelda, you said campaigns help strengthen your team. It gave you an excuse to make your team strong. How do campaigns help strengthen your team?
0: Well, I think they help the organization consolidate or organize ourselves around the things that are most important our priorities in a period of time. But as our institution grows, as uh, the world changes, those priorities might morph a little bit. There are programs may grow. Our need then to support, say, uh, our water program is a perfect example. We've built a program over the last several years that is uh, powerful, making a huge difference, has published a stellar research. We want to keep that going because healthy, clean water is important to all of us. Being able to build that over time and to create the enthusiasm and the information that people need to hear from you to understand why it's important to support a program like that, that's what a campaign can do. And you have to educate your board. Uh, You have to educate other staff. You have to then bring that information to donors. So um, I guess I think that campaigns allow you to do that, and they also, uh, in terms of structure, when you engage volunteers, allow you to educate them so that they're better advocates for you and champions for your cause. Again, when you think about it, that's great to have volunteers, but volunteers over time may retire. You know, our board serves three three-year terms if they would like, but we bring new people on through that process. All of those things seem really important. In terms of the team, we've had a little bit of turnover, but a lot of continuity. People come and they stay. They like the work, they're committed to the mission. (laughs) In that process, I was also able to examine what we needed. when, When someone would leave, it does create an opportunity. Each new recruit brings new talent, new abilities, and you can also fashion a position that becomes available in a way that might make more sense now that you're at a different place.
1: I remember talking with you about that now that you say that some time ago when you were looking at some positions and what were the seats on the bus that were needed for that to really get it where you wanted to go with campaign. And that's where campaign gets to be kind of the reason for the shift in the mindset of leadership, board, executive leadership, recognizing this is not a cost. This is an investment that we make in order for the campaign to succeed, but to build capacity and sustainability in the long term by keeping those people in those seats on that bus. So that, that's where it's been effective. Jamie, I want to ask you to talk about something you said related to the gl- growth being slow but good. Mm-hmm. Creativity, you mm-hmm. mentioned in recruitment mm-hmm. and retention. Will you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So, whether you're talking about creativity
3: in budget um, or creativity in um, a work life balance, Or creativity and the geographic uh, location of your staff; those are all things that, for us right now, we must think outside the box. Seven years ago, you posted a position, people applied, you selected your uh, successful candidate. They moved to the Cullowhee area. They showed up Monday through Friday, and they they worked. The reality of our rural work is, you know, we're an hour from Asheville, which puts us always in some form or fashion of a driving distance to our prospects and our donors. And so we have to be creative in getting to our constituent base In ways that allow our staff to be supported and allow our staff to at least be home, uh, several, several nights a week. Creativity can also mean, uh, taking your expectations of what you're looking for with a development officer where you want three to five years experience or, or you want to see higher education experience and considering growing your own or considering taking someone that has the skill sets, but maybe they're in a different position at the time and moving the seats around at the table to play off of those strengths. I think often, particularly in public higher education, we just rinse repeat. This is the way we've always done it. We post the same position as it was written five years ago. And I'm of the mindset, much like you mentioned, Anytime someone leaves, for whatever reason, it is an opportunity to evaluate and assess that position description and then to step back and zoom out and look at what the critical needs are for the team as a whole. Nothing says, even though it's the faster route, that you have to post and advertise the same exact position. I I think it's... um, stale and stagnant if you operate in that way. And the work that we do is active in nature. It morphs, it moves. Um, I was thinking about uh, your answer, Nelda, on your campaign response. And oftentimes I think of, we're we're sitting in a home right now doing this conversation, and I think of the kitchen table as your core fundraising staff, as your advancement staff, and the day-to-day logistics. You're sitting around the kitchen table and getting it done. But a campaign requires you to move to a larger table and to formalize that process and to bring more seats to the table, to the dining room, and to uh, have more people focused and on board with what you're doing. It really does require more seats at the table, and I'm not referencing just staff and advancement, Mm -hmm. but training of senior leadership. In our case, the training of deans for their understanding and empowerment and motivation of the work that we do. And so creativity is key. Um, HR can quickly take over. You can mm-hmm. you can become um, an HR office yourself and in, in the work of human resources. So it has to be focused. There has to be time set aside to do that work. And um, I'm telling you, the support staff that help run calendars and set aside interview opportunities, they're critical mm-hmm. uh, to making sure you can still do the important
1: fundraising work so true we hear that all the time and calls for help with search services
3: i believe that creating motivational documents for the retention of staff Mm -hmm. is important and as creative as you can be within the organization uh, within um, hr procedures I strongly encourage, particularly for frontline fundraisers, in order to retain them, I think it's less than two years is the average right now for a frontline
1: fundraisers tenure Eighteen to 24 months. Thank
3: you. 18 to 24 Mm -hmm. months. That's painful. And particularly because those people are in the relationship business, they build relationships with prospects and with donors. And if your relationship lasted 18 months and you're passed off to the next one, it can be exhausting. It can cause you to lose confidence in a nonprofit or in an organization. And so building metrics that a gift officer can work towards for higher salary, or for some other benefit that you lay out for them on the front end. We are testing that now with our gift officers. And I think that will be critical to the retention and the longevity of those relationships.
1: When you do annual reviews or you have conversations with staff, what do they say is what keeps them there? What do they say that they like the best about their jobs? Do you get to ask them that?
0: I do. Um, we have a very robust review process with several conversations a year. It's a newer technique. We've always had good conversations, but this is actually four times a year. It feels a little bit cumbersome, but it's actually been wonderful for a whole variety of reasons. A couple of things I would like to comment on the longevity. I came into a strong program where people had worked uh, way more than two years. Uh, you know, I had a team that was so experienced and still do one twenty eight years, another twenty two. Years, I think the shortest lived individual is someone that I did bring on during this pandemic, but who has now been with us over two years. So there is room for growth inside the larger organization, and that is a motivational factor. The mission of our work is clearly what drives the longevity of our staff people I work with believe that there is nothing more important in the world today right Mm -hmm. now than protecting land and water. So that's powerful. But our organization promotes a lot of internal professional development, cross exchanges with other states and other country programs to do contribute your knowledge to another program that might be building, which is uh, very exciting. And when you think about it, it's often, you know, money isn't, always really the main driver. It's what can you do? Um, uh, Similarly, when I was uh, restructuring our staffing for what we needed, the other piece that came into play there was how do I promote people who are already here? And I was able to use the vacancy to also make adjustments that way. And that's really important. Um, that institutional knowledge that we have and the relationships that we have are, um, critical to our success. And I think really are a hallmark of the success of the organization.
1: They're literally saving the world. Mm-hmm. You, you can't buy that with a salary, right? <laughs> that feels good. And using the campaign to promote staff, I really like that point about longevity.
0: I think it's
3: important. My answer is, is somewhat similar. What motivates our staff? I think depends on who you ask, Um, I believe there's a big difference between someone who has the mentality that this is a job versus someone that has the mentality of this is a profession or a passion. Mm -hmm. And so a job might be motivated by a salary, might be motivated by the benefits, um, but someone who is in the profession of their choice based off of the passions that they have are motivated by mission. They're motivated by life change of our students. They're motivated by team members who both, um, they hold them accountable and allow them to find joy in their day-to-day work. Um, and those are the ones that we're looking for. I want
1: to add one to that. Yeah. I think the greatest motivation can be just a donor visit. And when you find success in campaign and things are going well, and you just meet with someone who makes your heart sing Mm. isn't that, why we do this. Yeah. We call that a
3: a refocus. And so, you know, you come out of a donor visit or a prospect visit and they refocus you on the why we do what we do. That's and good. you come out of there with a high.
1: Uh-huh. And, you
3: know, our, our team members are posting on our team chat and they're just, you know, hey, I had a refocus just now. Or we read thank you notes of our scholarship recipients. Um, we, we read one the other day. She was going to be a middle school science teacher. She got COVID two years ago. Um, as a young 20-something was on a ventilator and in her work uh, for um, several months after her hospital stay with a physical therapist, she decided to finish up her work at Western Carolina University to become a physical therapist. And I read this thank you letter. And um, you know, it's a good one if the tears fall. But it was a refocus for me. It was a refocus on the why and on the mission of what we do what we do and the life change. I do want all the water to be clean, by the way, Nelda, and I want all the land we can get. Um, but you're right, it doesn't matter what the mission is. If it's a worthy mission, it will provide that motivation that a staff member needs. I'll tell you this. It's not the Friday pizza parties,
1: mm-hmm. but I
3: will tell you that is important from camaraderie and also important just to take a time out to spend time with one another, Those but it's not keeping them too. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I remember serving on a board once and someone suggested we should have a little social gathering after one of our meetings. And I'm like, what? I got to go after the meeting? what are you, what is she talking about? We started doing it and everybody just became closer. You work better together. And this was at the board level. So definitely on the staff level, those things matter. And those thank you notes. I mean, whatever it is that drives mission, that gives you chills at the end of the day, that's why we're doing the work, not for the salary. I mean, that's always been the case with nonprofits. But at least also when we talk about capacity, we have to recognize we should be paying people what they're worth. And we're getting a lot better at that.
3: I have to give a shout out to the state of North Carolina. Our faculty and staff Mm -hmm. haven't had raises in quite some time. And I just want to say thank you to the General Assembly and the governor for 3.5%, which is a very big
1: deal. It is a big deal. And
3: we'll help with retention of staff. It (laughs) does help. It
1: does make a difference. Thank you, Jamie and Nelda, for being here. We will talk more coming up in our next episode on Capacity Building.
0: You've been listening to Generously Speaking, a podcast series developed by Capital Development Services, where we hear from area philanthropists. philanthropists, foundation executives, corporate leaders, and others who share their experience, insights, and ideas on the nature of generosity and philanthropic giving. Look for our podcast episode notes at capdev.com. You can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn.